Okay, here we go. Focus, speed, I am speed. One winner, 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast. I was going a little bit too fast, and as I came around the corner to head out on the track, there was a car parked there, and I ran in the back of it. And he thinks it's a get-back from the week before, and that's what he tells the NASCAR officials. He blamed it on an incident that happened the week before, and I had no recollection as of even being together on the racetrack the week before. I'm picking up the pace because he's he's running me down and running me down fast, and I don't know the difference. Um, coming off turn four, uh, I ended up smacking the fence just hard enough that that was the end of us. As it turns out, Cabana had been sitting on the infield for about 80 laps. Welcome, everybody, to the Uncommon Deeds podcast. Mm-hmm. If you heard the open, then, hey, good job to me. If you did not hear an open, which I think is probably the leader in the clubhouse, it's that kind of week. It's that kind of week. And it's only Monday, folks. Is somehow we're more disorganized when we get the episode recorded ahead of time. Like when we, yeah, because you you feel like you've got all this time to just ah relax. It's good. We're halfway home. You like forget about the little things. Whereas when we've been cranking these out every Monday, recording on Sunday, it's like okay, I need to do this, this, this. I have work from this time to this time, and then I will work on this part here. Then I have to make the kids dinner here, and I got it, and then. Literally, it is nine o'clock right now on Monday night, and I literally just remembered fifteen minutes ago that I'm supposed to make opens for these shows, <laughs> and I haven't done the graphic yet. <laughs> Other than You're that, right. if when we put it off or when we when we try to get ahead, we end up putting it off. That mixed in with Halloween. Happy Halloween to everybody! Oh yeah, happy Halloween! Trick or treating. Kids in costumes. It's a lot. Had a fun weekend. Enjoying the good weather while we have it. First, it's quickly. To be seventy this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Quickly. Parent corner brought to you by Lacaris Power Sports. <laughs> we had some slightly older kids come by the house this weekend, and this isn't the same kid that's going after Izzy. Is he is one of them. Oh, and they had these little there. like electric motorcycles, like oh. the little kid electric ones. Sure. Yeah. By razor, or whatever power yeah. wheels type of thing. Yeah. 
And my kids are like, ooh, we want to turn. And I'm telling them, I'm like, no, you have to be able to ride a bike without training wheels first. Yeah. And Rowan is upset. He is the youngest. He is turned four in August. And he keeps that. He's, Daddy, I want a turn. I'm like, no. You need to ride a bike without training wheels first. So the kids leave, and he comes over to me, and he goes, take my training wheels off and show me how to ride. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, he was annoyed. Like, stands there with his hands on his hips, like, all right, old man. Like, okay, take the training wheels off. And I am not freaking exaggerating, and I was so excited and proud. I gave him maybe a 30-second kind of pep talk, like, oh, faster you go, the easier it is. Holding the bike, ooh, you feel this? This is the balance part. It's like, yep. I'm like, okay, pedal, pedal, pedal. I took like three steps, pushed him, and he rode, and he was done. That's all I did. Hey, kid, bring that razor back over here. He literally came back. He's like, now I can drive a motorcycle? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can. But, yeah, super proud. He still occasionally wow. needs a little help getting going. He hasn't mastered the getting the feet down and giving himself enough speed to then put his feet up. Yeah. He can do it most of the time. Fair then enough. Izzy saw him and she got it and it took her a little it took her a day and a half, two days, but she's got it. TJ's like, no, I'm good. Deuces. <laughs> we actually haven't even done the training wheels on the bicycle thing. She's got this balance bike that she will not use. She's got a bicycle. She doesn't want to ride it. I'm telling you, Rowan loved his balance bike. Yeah. And I think that's what made it easy. Like you could almost go from out without, well, I guess you need to know the rhythm of the pedals and everything. Yeah. That's the hard part. But like, cause that's how I knew like Rowan. Cause TJ was, oh, I want to learn. I'm like, eh, I don't think he's ready. But Rowan will fly up and down the driveway on his balance bike, legs up, like he had the balance. So I was like, oh, I think he's got it. And sure enough, fucking three steps and a push, and he was gone. So Ev makes me, we go in the garage, and she makes me announce races for her with her imaginary friends. We have a green flag and a checkered flag and a Davy Allison flag that's not white, but that's the white flag. And... uh all these old trophies and shit that I have. And she makes me announce races. We, we do 10 lap features. And Does she always win? She, no. Oh man. It's great too. Like she wins most of the time, but then like, there's a few times where I'll be like, she's got a pretend friend named Susan <laughs> and I'll, I'll have Susan come from behind and turn four on the last lap and get her. And Evelyn stops. And she's like, what the hell? She didn't say that. I remember I used to do that. She will at some point. When I would imagine play in the woods of Woodbury by myself. And I'd be racing around on my bike and I would purposely like make myself lose so I could like freak out and throw my helmet and Oh nice. You could practice the rage. Yeah. Yeah, good. I like that. (laughs) So that was Well when when she loses it's a surprise. That's that's the fun part for me. So that was Parent Corner, brought to you by LaCare's Power Sports. There you go. And I have a feeling uh, I'm going to be uh, reaching out 
for some motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> little 50 cc dirt bikes. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get that four wheeler back from Joey. I know. <laughs> I probably could, and I just never really got around to calling. And yeah. And now it's almost winter, so those kids don't know about that four wheeler. It can it can wait. But these kids, given the area kind of we're in, which I don't belong. Like oh, we like we asked the parents like oh, what's that? Like oh yeah, that's one of the nice ones. About you know. Five, five hundred and fifty bucks. No thanks. Nah, we're good. Like I have three kids. You know what they're not going to do? Share one. Yeah. You know what I really don't want to? I don't really want to pay that much for one. Yeah. You can get a little pit bike for like three (laughs) hundred. Little fifty cc pit bike. Yeah. That's way more fun. Yeah. Get them something where they got to start learning what a clutch is. <laughs> For the cars, they'll never drive. That never happened. That's right. That's my little theft deterrent system in my Subaru. I leave the keys right in it. I know nobody's going to take it. Leave it running. And drive it. Yeah. All right. So, yes. So. Jesus. This week has been a lot, but still getting it out on time. I was tempted to be like the, hey, Justin, maybe a Wednesday, but as Justin can attest, I really dislike missing my deadlines. Me too. And there's no story time this week, kind of so that we can stay on time. And story time has kind of been here and there. It hasn't been every week, so I feel okay with not doing a story time this week. Though I like how you just kind of put that on me. Like, oh, no. I was going to do it, but we got to get this ready for no, no, tomorrow. No. Tom doesn't like have his shit together. I haven't done the graphic either, and I, I, I didn't remember that until you said you hadn't done the open. So it's, yeah. Though a uh, lot of talk about the uh, what would Joel do decal you posted yeah. today it's the greatest decal that's ever been made uh and i'm just learning that the bouchards came up with it i didn't know that yeah. i know that paul massetti printed it maybe he did the artwork i don't know but it was the, it was cooper's family that that came up with the idea it's what we cool. it's what we should have done name the podcast what would joel do yep with that graphic yeah Oh, it's it's funny. So I wonder how okay, many we, accidental we, WWJD yeah. listeners we'd get. Right. We got that weird controversy book in the mail. Did you get one? I don't think so. It went so. directly in the recycling. I don't know. That's this thing that it's a religious and slash political book and everybody in Vermont got one or is about to get one. Anyway, the job. If I'm being honest, I don't even rarely check them. (laughs) Allie leaves me a little pile of stuff I need. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's fine. Let's talk about Ross Chastain for the love of Christ. (laughs) How amazing was that? That is straight out of PlayStation, my friend. Oh, my God. 
And he admitted it. He's like, I did that when I was an eight-year-old. <laughs> awesome. Track record. Lap time. Yeah, he beat everybody by a second and a half <laughs> on lap 500. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, it's so funny. A lot of big balls references. Gosh. I've seen. He said, and I think he said in one of the interviews that he just let go of the wheel. Yeah. Probably smart. Up against the wall and let go. Yeah. Man. Going back to the WWJD, he let Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie Underwood showed up at that moment. Oh, it was just the coolest thing in the world. And no, it won't happen again. I'm sure of it because either NASCAR won't let it happen or the teams won't let it happen. But I mean, that was that was an expensive move. Yeah, but it paid off for him. Mm. You know, I I believe it did. But he wrecked the shit out of that car doing that. I mean, you yeah, saw that's he what got I meant. to turn it's one an and couldn't turn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was he destroyed that car doing that move, but he It's been interesting to see kind of the different opinions. Kyle Larson came out against it and said he wished he had yeah. never done it last year. It seems was. like he'd be fun at parties. Oh. I don't know. And there's, you know, I, I kind of agree with him a little bit. Like it's, it's a little bit hokey, but it's also the coolest damn thing that has ever happened in NASCAR. Well, plus you got to remember when it comes to comments, you know, Kyle's on the Blutowski double secret pro- probation. So, yeah, I don't know. I thought like Christopher Bell in his victory lane interview, I had like, and saw the replay and he's like, what? <laughs> that's the cool. That's amazing. <laughs> you sent me that just Ross Chastain in caps. Uh, and I wrote back, I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. They let me watch the Cowboys game. So I'm watching Flores Lava now. <laughs> and you sent me the clip and I saw it was a solid, like, at least two, three hours. I had no idea who won the race. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> right? Oh, my God. It was awesome. And actually, I somebody recommended that I try to find the MRN call of it. And I just did find it on YouTube before we started recording. And it's actually really cool. Like, to hear them try and describe it. Like, it, it really got me excited again. You know, I already know what it looked like, but like to to try and imagine them paint the picture of of what it looks like, it sounds totally insane. You know, what's more it? insane, and it's kind of hard now because you've heard it, but shut it off if you could shut it off and think, how would you announce that? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't think I have a pretty good switch on me. When I'm broadcasting, like actual radio or television, and I've never cursed on the air before, but I feel like that one would be that close. Be Just be like, <laughs> he fucking sent it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> fucking full send. Uh, 
It'd be the only time you could get away with it, too. And uh, you'd be totally forgiven. I don't know about that. Well. I never did that, yeah. and they still stopped calling me, so. Yeah. You and me both, Junior. Well, that's not entirely true. No, that's true. They did call me, but I told them I wouldn't do it without you, so hell with them. And that just shows how much they didn't want me that they stopped calling you after that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. Well, then never mind. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Oh, There's some fun rumors about why I got stopped being asked. Yeah. Ask us off air sometime, folks. Yeah. I'll be happy to. Yeah. Good stuff. Anyway, Joel Hodgson. <laughs> this one we talked about a while ago. And really, ever since the Dwayne episode, we definitely wanted to have Joel and give him the chance to kind of rebuttal. And I suggest, if you don't remember, go back, listen to the Dwayne episode again. It's a fun listen anyway. But he had some comments about his kind of last Tiger run there and the battle he was in with Joel. So we wanted to ask him about it. We got those answers. We got we got some serious tea on another little incident that led to him leaving Speedway 51 at the time when he was running for a championship. Yeah. That we were not expecting. Correct. And we found out why there's a rat in his race car. I I don't know if you guys will learn. You'll be able to context clues. He told us after the fact. When we stopped recording, yeah, that's why there's a rat in my car (laughs) Mm -hmm. ever since. There are, a heads up, if you listen and you hear a little jumbly and it doesn't sound super smooth, like maybe it wasn't a complete sentence, as Joel put it a couple times, the hamster stopped running on his internet. So we had a few drops here and there. But I think you can put everything together throughout the show. Nothing was too bad. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, he's in, we're at Crassberry, right? So yes, sir. Not a lot going on up there. Um, but, oh, well, it's it's good to be on our toes every now and then, too. So we'll get right to it as this uh, decent episode, we went quite a while and it was it was fun it was entertaining and some really good conversation yeah don't forget that our episode brought to you by LaCare's Power Sports winners coming get your sled get a fun toy or even start planning to get a toy for the spring not a bad idea you yeah, start that process and, now as opposed to in the spring when everyone right. else goes shopping. That's right. Yep. Um, yeah, get ahead of it. And remember that they've been at it for 61, coming up on 62 years, so they know what they're doing, and everybody else knows that they're the best in the game too. Speaking of which, go check out their Facebook page. Yes. Jarrett's Facebook page. Yes. They pulled out 
the rebuilt Joey Jr. 61 mm-hmm. on the rollback trailer, and it is sweet. It's so cool. Uh, God, I remember, well, it was 1991 that Joey Jr. died right after his championship in 90, and the car was ready to go. And I remember they parked that car in the infield on opening day of 91 to honor him as his, you know, track champion and that he had passed. And I remember thinking that was the coolest looking race car at that time. Um, And then I never saw it again. (laughs) Nobody ever saw it again. And then it was just, it just came up for sale at Frenchie LaFountain's auction after he had passed because he had the car and it rightfully went home with, with Joey and Jeff. And it's so, it's such a gorgeous race car. My gosh. Also, I have to thank Barry Tile. Mm -hmm. They're more than just tile, folks. Flooring, countertops. God, they do some cool countertops. They do. We talked about that big one, that island one. Yeah. Um, The small basketball court of a countertop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, with an oven in it and a sink. It's it's pretty pretty badass. And they're racers too, by the way. Um and I was going through some pictures on the Big Al's Photos website recently, and I found a picture from nineteen ninety five of a street stock race, and I, I don't even know who the driver was, but it said Barry Tile in big reflective letters that have been outlawed. <laughs> but it said Barry Tile on the quarter panel of that car. Going through the infield as you do as a street stalker. Um, and everybody remembers John Clark, right? The old man of the mountains. Hell yeah. You have to send over that picture. Get get yourself an answer. I'll have to find it. it I want to say it might have been Craig Shepard, but I don't know that for sure. It could have been. We also could not do this without Bushy's generator sales and service. Mm-hmm. Not to reiterate what I did three minutes ago, but winter is coming. And with winter comes power outages, ice storms. And I know you, much like I, went a long time with... I can always throw on an extra blanket. I can throw on a, a hoodie. I'm fine. And then you have small children. And you're like, oh, I should probably protect these kids. Generally a good idea. They probably can't retain as much heat as my large body can. So. (laughs) So how do you fix that, Tom? I'm thinking a standalone generator from Bushy's Mm -hmm. Generator Sales and Service. Yeah. So when the power goes out, the power comes back on. And let's be honest. Okay. Parent corner's over. But it's just it's just me and you and you listening. So Tom's going to tell you a little secret that you know and I know. Justin knows. We want that power back on. It's not for the heat. It's for that tablet so I can get five minutes in the bathroom right. without someone's hand under the door or banging on the door. They won't even know you're you're not in the room. They will find warmth. I will not find quiet without power. 
Ring but the to- bell. But ding, totally. Ding, ding. That's, have that's have the kids. One. They're great. They're great. Uh-huh. By the way, uh, I'm trying to read it on Race Monitor. I actually haven't seen any official results from Lemons, the 24 Hours of Lemons at, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. But my God, did Ben Bushy win Class C or maybe maybe it was second with the Buick? It's hard to tell the way that this thing is set up. Well, they're top five. They have to be top five in Class C. And they were, I think, 18th in Class B. They had two cars going. He, his Junkyard Warrior, his his Warrior car that he raced at Thunder Road, he ran over the two-day weekend at Loudoun. That's awesome. That's a hero course. for you. That's, That's a hero. That's a hero. That's the anti-Ty Gibbs. <laughs> the anti-Gibbs. Ooh, I like that. Oh, and that kid is a friggin' punk, by the way, and somebody needs to knock his face off his head. Let's just get that out there. On that note, let's go ahead and let Justin make today's introduction. This guy hates right rear tires, man, uh, but he can drive the hell out of a race car. He is uh, a champion at Thunder Road, a winner everywhere he's been, and maybe has the best decal in the history of stock car racing. And uh, this is long overdue since like episode nine. It should have been nine B Joel Hodgson. Welcome to uncommon deeds. Oh boy. Are we happy to have you, man? (laughs) Happy to be on the show for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You have some diehard followers, some who help you and following our Dwayne episode, which I went back to and listened to again today, just to get ready for, for tonight. Me too. Some of his comments in particular about you led to probably our most talked about episode as your your guys came to bat quickly for you. Yeah, I mean they, they have my back for sure. And the you know, that was uh that was interesting um to hear his interview and because he he made the comment once about handing it to me, and I kind of just, you know, shrugged it off a little bit, and yeah. then hearing it more and more, and it was it was, hey, whatever, you know, if uh, if you want to say you gave me a championship because you quit, I'm cool with that. <laughs> you could have lost it. <laughs> I very well, I very easily could have, yeah. but I don't think so. <laughs> Oh man. We'll get let's there. let's let's save that. Let's start at the beginning. Sure. What do you think? So you've listened before, so you kind of know how it starts, and that's when you remember motorsports coming into your life. Man, I remember it as long as I can remember, to tell you the truth. Um Mo Man raced, he won the Enduro um I wanna say in like eighty six or seven. No, I was alive, so it was later than that. And then the next year, he jumped into the Tigers, and I don't think I missed a race the whole time he was racing. He always had those number 13 Ford Thunderbirds that were so odd-looking, not in a bad way, but they just they stood out. Yeah, he ran Ford. That's I mean, that's what we run. That, thanks to my grandfather, you know, he pushed Fords on us. Even though he would drive anything that had gas in it and he could get running, Fords were our cars and that's what dad had. He had a Thunderbird and he was, I think there's a few other people that ran Thunderbirds. Um, one of the, 
Uh, the Lowell brothers had them. Yes. Yeah, the they had them. In, birds. Yeah. Didn't Jamie Fisher run one for a little bit? Uh, no, he yet. had a Mustang and the street stocks, but that's, that's what it uh, was, yeah. about it. Uh, Tom Vermette had one. Um, Pete Ainsworth, of course, had one forever. There were a few Fords, but you know, your dad's his his blue one and orange it was all blue and orange. Yeah, that one was really ugly. I and mean, that was yep. a turd looking car, but yeah. Uh he had a couple of really nice ones too. Yep. Yeah. Nineteen ninety he won the Enduro. I just saw that. It was ninety. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew I was born, so I was two then. So it's funny you talked about his Thunderbirds. I was just down to his house tonight in the old race shop and there's a picture of him on the wall with his red and yellow one. And I mean, he blew the rack out of it from hitting it. And that's where he got his nickname, Off the Wall Paul. That's a <laughs> great picture. Yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. He was halfway up Bud Hill with that wreck. Oh, yeah. 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 If he was he was either in the wall or rolling over. That was his claim to fame. So how early are you trying to get in and tinker around? Because you kind of come off similar to... Maybe like a Chip Grenier who told us, you know, he was in a diaper taking go-karts apart. Yeah, I mean, I was I was with my dad all the time. So he, we own like a little, we've got a little junkyard. And the earliest memory I have of driving was probably four years old. He had a wrecker that you could pull the idle out to make the truck run higher so the PTO would go quicker. Well, it was an automatic, and my dad would let me drive it across the field. Obviously, I couldn't hit the pedals, so he'd pull the idle out, put it in drive, and I would steer across the field. And, you know, right on my knees, just happily driving across the field, and it was game over from there. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Was that a Ford, too? That was a Chevy, believe it or not. Tom, you'll have to edit that part out. We don't yeah. tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard to believe that he had one, but he's kind of the same way my grandfather was. If it worked and ran, that's what he used. But yeah, and then um, my mom had a five-speed Bronco, and I learned to drive five-speed on that when I was, I want to say, five or six. And then just kind of drove around. We're, I'm out in the middle of nowheres with no cops, no, nothing like that. And I just beat up and down the road to the fields, whatever, whatever I could drive, I'd drive. Once you hit, you know, East Callis on 14 headed that way. It's a different world out there. Yes, it is. Yep. And I like, it. I wouldn't change it for anything. Obviously you must've been in love with the race cars. And I mean, how <laughs> I know how old you were when you started kicking my ass. Um, <laughs> But how old were you when you guys started talking about getting you behind the wheel of something on a racetrack? I I don't really remember. Back then, it was Grofton had the kids division. And I I can't remember what the age was back then. Um, I know he always talked about it. We talked about it. I always begged him about it. And he was kind of still racing and doing his thing. So I would go down to the junkyard and, and do my thing, get ready, keep driving, learning how to drive. And I want to say when I was like, I think I was 13, he brought me home a, a Dodge Omni and nice. for the kids division over there. Yep. Plymouth Omni, Omni, whatever it's called. And, uh, well, 
first he actually brought uh had a thunderbird like he used to run and it was a v8 and we stripped it out and he said this is going to be your your kids enduro car well come to find out they won't let you run a v8 and my i was heartbroken like i found out the day before going to the watch the races with them and i bawled all the way down there i was like oh my god i can't race like what are we gonna do you know i just bombed and dipstick ended up taking that car and running the thunder road enduro with it dipstick to fanny and i don't know a couple couple weeks later dad came home from the auction with that omni and said this is the car we're gonna build so it's kind of it was a goofy looking car and quite honestly it was fast yeah those things are quick yeah there's a couple people that ran street stock with them that you know i obviously didn't know then but now i remember them being out there and whooping butt with them danny gibbs and there were a few others uh and airborne was full of them uh so how'd you do in that first you know or or i guess where did it go how long did it take to get in the car and all that stuff so i can't remember the timeline because but we i remember we stripped it we painted it put a cage in it and we went and raced that first kids enduro and we did nothing else to the car no suspension no nothing with no expectations and i went over there and i was so excited and i went out there and ran the crap out of it and dad said the left rear tire never touched the ground and he instantly regretted not putting a right front strut in it because if he put a right front strut in it i think it would have been a pretty competitive piece now that was with I think the Swallows were running that the same. I think we're like the same age. And of course they had the Dodge Neons, the, you know, the fast cars and we were keeping up with them, but I spun it out like two or three times because it was just pushing like a dump truck. And I was just driving the crap out of it. You were instantly hooked. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yep. I remember. So after that, my dad brought home another car. He's a used car dealer too. So he brought home a Mustang from the auction and I got home from school one day and it was sitting out behind the garage and me being kind of oblivious, it sat there for like a week. And finally I asked my dad, I'm like, what are you doing with that Mustang? You know, I I never know. He always had cars kicking around and he's like, well, we can build that into a street stock next year for Riverside if you want. We'll race a few races, nothing serious, you know, we'll build it over the winter and, and see where it takes us. And we didn't stop for 10 years after that. So car auctions are like Christmas in the Hodgton home. Oh yeah. 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 That's why he doesn't let me go with him very much because every time I go there, we make a silly purchase, you know, just like fast cars or something, something that's not profitable. We bring home. <laughs> so you and Brandon gray were separated at birth. I think. Yeah. It's yeah. It's kind of like that. <laughs> yep. Actually in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so how did it go at Groveton? I mean, you know, that first race you're out there kind of flopping around, but then you build a car. I mean, from what I recall, and I wasn't over there much, but, you were this kind of short, chubby little kid, and you were 
you were keeping up with the adults, I mean, you were getting trophies and stuff regularly and they had a good field of cars over there. Yeah. So the first year, um, didn't that great. We had the first race, we had power steering problems and my dad said, go out and just drive it and see what you can do. You should be able to handle it without power steering. Like on the second lap, of course, this is when Riverside had the dirt wall on the backstretch. I wreck. I, I didn't wreck, but I lost power steering. Couldn't control it because I was a 14-year-old out-of-shape chubby kid. Drove it into that dirt barrier and jumped out. Like it scared me. I jumped out. They hadn't even thrown the yellow flag yet. And I had no. gotten out of that race car and was standing next to it. And all I remember was the yellow came out and the officials come running over to me and they're like, no, you got to stay in the car. stay in the car. And I didn't know, you know, it was the first real race I'd ever been in. And it was like, you know, the ride home from Grofton, which is an hour and a half. Dad was giving me the talk about, you know, what you need to do if you get in an accident and this and that you stay in the car. And the officials were really good about it. They knew I was a nervous young kid that was just getting his start. And so we finally got that going. We did some testing. Of course, you could rent the track over there. And it was just a, it was a slow start. And for some reason, dad kept me going every week. Unlike he, not like he said he wasn't going to, you know, he said he was going to just, we're just going to take this race by race and see what happens. And we had carburetor trouble, but I always kept it clean and, and never really wadded it up. And I remember the last race of the year that rookie season we put a new carburetor on it and I won the heat race and I finished third in the last race and it was cool. You know, struggled all year and finally got a trophy and going into the off season, it got me excited to work on the car more, learn the car more, do more with dad to learn about it. And, And then the next year was when we ran for the championship over there. Why do you think he kept bringing you back every week? He saw what I could do. He he knew what I could do. He, you know, he he's your dad. He, he's my dad. Yeah, he did it for however many years. And he, he knew. He knew that it was going to come around. And luckily he did. Do you think he was probably having more fun than he thought he would being there with I you? I think so. Yeah, I think so. You know, he he built the car himself. Every car I ran in the street stocks, he built every one of them, the cage, right from the ground up. Um, we didn't build our Tigers, of course, but, you know, so he was, I think it was something for him, too, to because it brought him back because he built every one of his Tigers. You know, and it wasn't like it is now where you keep the same car and run it year after year. He built a new one every year. Every winter, he'd find a car and he'd build a new one. And I think it brought him back to what he liked to do. Your second year at Grove Tona, you started making some noise. Did you win races? I know you were leading the points over there, but did you win anything over there? So I I won one race. Yep. And uh, that was, I think Luke Shannon was there and he won first two. And I podiumed the first two. And the third race, I beat him. And I remember it plain as day because it was Luke Shannon over there. You know, yeah, everything was right. Luke Shannon. Yeah, I beat him. And he came up next to me to wave and congratulate me. 
And I was so timid and nervous that he was going to be mad that I beat his streak. I wouldn't look at him. I was dead straight. Like I was driving on the racing still. And I get out of the car and I remember he come right over and he says, why won't you look at me? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I thought you'd be mad. I, you know, I didn't know. And he was, he just laughed it off. And then I think we podiumed six times in a row over there. I think that night Luke got DQ'd for something. And, you know, we led the points for, I want to say, most of the season. And Mike Kennison was catching me. And all of a sudden, his brother Jason showed up to to start racing. And I remember it was, you know, when we were racing, I was racing his brother. And then he would race me hard. And it was, you know, you go to go to Grofton from Vermont. You, I mean, you've done it. You know what it's like to go be a Vermonter in a New Hampshire track. It was, uh, it didn't end well for us. I guess is how I should put it. I think there was like three races left and me and Jason were racing really hard for a third. And all my sponsors were over there that night. And I was like, I want to get in the top three to thank all my sponsors. You know, they made the long trip there and he doored me coming out of turn two. And I, I wasn't feeling good that night. Like it was just a weird night. And my 15 year old temper to me. And instead of just backing off, finishing fourth, I drove him so hard in turn three that he went up the track, spun out. I spun out. They sent me, both of us, to the rear. And that's when Mike took the point lead for the championship. And I want to say it was two races to go. So really, my bonehead, young experience cost me the championship over there. Lesson learned. But yeah, I remember when... I was there for 51. Yep. Jason Kennison had some talent. When he showed up, he yeah. was always fast. Yeah. And Mike I, did too. Yeah. I And and the worst part was is it, you know, obviously got in our head that we were racing both of them for a championship. And one of them was there to take care of the other one. And that's, you know, to do it all over again, I would have settled for fourth and I would have won the championship. That's, there's... No bones about that, but can't can't take it back. It's easy to say that twenty years later. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Which leads me to two thousand four when I realized at age twenty one that I was washed up when little Joel Hodgson comes over and beats me in his first or second race or whatever it was at Thunder Road. And you had a you had a little bit of notoriety that came with you because you know, people had known that you had run well at Groveton and you had you know, the association with your father and with Dipper and kind of everybody had you on their radar and man, you freaking delivered. And I remember thinking that I had a shot. I thought in that street stock class in 2004, driving Keith Fortier's car, I was like, you know, I think I've got a shot at the championship here. If we keep our nose clean and stay out of the crap, maintain the car, I think we've got a chance at it. And on, the second race you go flying by me and i said well it's over <laughs> i mean and i think i might have said this on the show before that's when i knew all right this kid is the real deal and you know you're still you were still a tiny kid at that point i mean you're you, you were like earnhardt you could barely see over the steering wheel yeah um but you you really came through and 
I think that's when people started to really pay attention over here. Did you, this is a stupid question, but did you feel any sort of pressure as a 16 year old kid uh, having, you know, people like me say, oh, well, this kid is, you know, I'm a veteran and, and he's already kicking my ass in race two. You know, did that, did you hear any of that talk or, or feel any of that? No, no. And I think a lot of it is because I am, you know, I'm 45 minutes out of Barry and we always kept to ourselves. I didn't have any friends down there, you know, besides like Dipper and them, and them guys. I didn't know anybody in the pits. So we just kept to ourselves and, and we did our thing. And obviously at 16, I had no fear. I knew my dad could fix the car if I wanted it up. And I knew he'd be pissed at me if I didn't drive the crap out of it, you know, because that's why he built that race car. You said you kept to yourself, but was there anybody kind of there that you could talk to or kind of helped show you the ropes of Thunder Road? Man, you know, that was a long time ago. I'll say it again. My memory is terrible. But the only people that I remember racing against in the street stocks were like Wiener. You know, I raced against him at Groveton, which this is a funny story, and you guys are going to kick out of this. Oh, good. A Wiener time story. Good. Yeah. So at Groveton, we could go practice before the race. And we knew Wiener. He lives right around here. And uh, it's actually Tucker, Tucker's uncle. Um, but we would go Hold practice. Hold on. Wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> really? No. no oh, okay. Pick on him about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. You, all right. I thought we were going to have to totally divert here, but all right. No. Justin no. had his phone out ready to make a post online. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Okay. But anyways, we'd we'd go over there and at, at Riverside, and you could you could practice before the race. And Wiener'd be over there every every time. And, of course, he'd be alone. And Dad was running the stopwatch on me. And me and Wiener'd be racing. I'd, and he'd always come over and he'd say, Hey, Paul, what was I running? And he's, oh, you were two-tenths faster than us, Wiener. You know, th- we can't catch you. And he'd go out there and burn the tires right off his car, thinking he was actually two-tenths quicker than we were. And we are just messing with him. So... He's he's really the only one that I remember that I ran against from Riverside that was at Thunder Road. Um and then, you know, obviously you had the 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 down to earth people that I I could talk to, like uh Steve Violet. Um he was always one to to lean on. Um and then Yeah, he was a good course, dude. Yep. Yeah, and then Dave Allen, um would come over once in a while but i i don't i don't remember i no i don't remember leaning on anybody to ask him questions about thunder road you know my dad ran a lot of laps there so he was he was really the one that told me you know what i should be doing you um you you did the street stock thing for i don't know two or three years right over at thunder road and you had some success. I mean, I think you won, you won at least once um, that I can recall, uh, but you must've been getting a little bit bored with that. Right. Cause all told between Groveton and Thunder Road, you'd had five years in that class. 
Yeah, well, it was really, I really wanted a championship is what I wanted. You know, at a young age, it's, I mean, any racer wants a championship. And that first year at Thunder Road, yeah, I did good for the first two races, first couple races, and then fell into this weird slump. And I remember rookie of the year, it was me, Melinda Gervais, and Eric Johnson, um, and a couple of people. And I remember, like, that was our goal. We went into a race season every year with a goal. And that year was rookie of the year and a couple trophies. And th- steadily throughout the year, I think we blew a motor. Like, we-, we had some weird troubles that year. But we ended up going through getting rookie of the year the first year. And then the second year, my dad built another new car for us and went out did the same thing was consistent and ran for a championship with Joe small and ended up coming five or eight points short in that one. And then the third year I didn't, I didn't win a race till the third year down there in the street stocks. It was like the, I think it was the Memorial day classic. And I remember it was Dave Allen and farmer. I was racing for the win with, and I I picked um, Dave Allen off on the track. I used Farmer as a pick, and I was so nervous. I'll, I remember, of course, I used to run the factory rearview mirror in the car, you know, no racing stuff, whatever. And I passed. I got to the lead, and I remember swatting that rearview mirror so I couldn't look in it because I knew Dave was right there. But I knew if I could stay smooth and keep my line. I'd be able to win the race, and I I did. But that year was another struggle year. We I think we blew another motor that year. Like it was just it was definitely time to get out of the street stocks. You jump up to the Tigers, which you're in the era of. There's still forty forty five cars every week. Uh, Nick Sweet and Craig Bushy are just beating the snot out of everybody. Uh, Joey Lacare and. You know, that's that's got to be a little intimidating from from where you were. Yeah, so that my rookie year in the Tigers, you had Reno Gervais, Mark Barnier, Joe like Staffel. All, all the people that my dad raced with. Yeah. And it and I had more so I'll take I'll step back a little bit. In that third year of the Street Stocks, uh Smitty actually gave me a ride and double o joe's backup car and that's right i do remember that yeah and he let me drive that and i'll tell you that i've never ever been good at telling what a car is doing whether it's tight or loose never ever and if i could do that all over again now that i know what i know i kept telling him that thing was loose because i was mashing the throttle you know it was v8 compared to a and I, the thing was dump truck tight, but I kept telling him it was loose. I remember Smitty even said, I don't think this thing is loose, Joel. I think it's tight. And I just said, no, it wants to spin out. So he gave us a chance in that. And that's what kind of gave us the bug to do the Tiger because we weren't sure if that's what we were, we were going to do. But I feel like I got more help going into the Tigers than I did into the street with would not would I mean like Hammer helped, you know you could you could go talk to him. Everybody was so scared of Hammer, and my dad's like, 
don't mess with him. He's not going to mess with you. And he didn't uh, like you could go lean on him. You could go lean on uh, Ricky Roberts was running then. And and dad said like, and he'd run against all these guys and he'd say, listen, you can run these guys and you can run them hard. Just don't screw them because they're going to wreck you. And that's exactly how it was back then. And they, there was this good group of cars there. How long was kind of the learning curve for you before you started to feel comfortable? Well, we, so we bought that car and had it ready for the milk bowl that year in 06. And I want to say Eric Bador also had one. Um, and you had to qualify for the milk bowl there. You couldn't just show up and you were in the show. And I remember Eric didn't make the show and we did, we qualified and our heat race, I started on the outside. So sorry, the Concy. I started on the outside of Sean Fleury. And I came in after after that. He schooled me on the restart, you know, flat out schooled me. And my dad says, Now you know what you have to do on the restarts. And like my dad was coaching me on on what we need to do. I think we I think we ended up finishing ninth that day in the first mobile. And I think it was like I don't know, riding a bike. It 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 really took off. I think the tigers were more suitable for me than the than tree stocks. Well, like I said in the intro, you hate right rear tires. Um, yep. Driving loose is kind of your thing. Obviously, after dealing with the Smitty deal, um, and you're right though. You had a great group of drivers who weren't afraid to lean on each other as long as it was kind of clean. It didn't have to be totally clean, but. Ricky Roberts and Mark Barnier and even Sean Flurry, they'll use you up if they have to, but nothing really over the line. And were you that driver always, do you think? Because you are that driver. As far as being what? That's taking not, what I can get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When there's a hole, you you know, if the radiator cap fits, the rest will follow, right? Well, within, yeah, within I've always, yeah, I, I've always been pretty conservative um about taking care of my stuff and i remember the first win in the tiger eric johnson was also a rookie in the tigers and i started third i think he started on the pole and there was a there was a you know maybe three quarters of a car on the bottom and i took it and i remember he still gives me shit about it every day not every you know once in a while that you drove through me for your first win well there was I saw a hole. I took it, you know, and we we didn't crash. We made it, you know. He obviously got stuck on the outside and didn't go anywhere. But it, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend to take what I get. But it's funny when you when you race those guys that you're so intimidated by, you you do run them a little different in the beginning. But in the in the end, you're you're out there just like they are for one goal and if you don't wreck them they're not going to wreck you and they're going to race you hard does that give you kind of some perspective now as you're kind of one of the elder statesmen of the tiger division when you're racing some of these young kids that are coming in to give them kind of that little leeway to make a mistake well you obviously got to know who you're running against but i will tell you back then when mark barnier come over to you and said this is what you're doing wrong this is what you need to work on or sean flurry or any of these big dogs come over to you 
you take the advice, right? You, you, okay. Yes. Like, yeah. yes, sir. I'm going to do what you tell me. And it, it seems a little different now, you know, like you, I don't want to say it, but it's, there's a lot of people out there that got daddy's money and they don't care. You know, last year I went over to help somebody just tell them, Hey, you're running half a lane high. You know, I was on the outside of you. You almost put me in the fence. Get out of my pit. Don't want you here. Get out of here. Okay. I was just trying to be nice and tell you, you know, anybody else is going to wall you for running them in the fence. And it's just, I remember, I just, I don't know, just different back then, I guess. I, I don't know. But there are people that still will listen to you, but nowhere as near like it used to be, in my opinion. Mm, yeah. Does that upset you? I mean, it's got to, right? I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. It's Of course, nobody sticks around in a division anymore like, yeah. like they did back then. You're right. You know, I, yeah, I, I, I'm in the Tigers, been there. I've done the late models, back down to the Tigers. You know, I, I, I'm willing to help anybody in that pits if they got need, you know, advice on anything. And it's, but, but nobody wants to take it long enough because they're just moving on. They're just moving up, you know, like Sean Flurry, you know, he ran Tigers forever. All these guys ran Tigers forever because it was, in my opinion, back then more of a jump from the Tigers to the late models. So they were making sure either they were making sure that they could do it or they were having more fun in the Tiger than they thought they would in the late model. Sean ran late models three different times. Right. And it was, you know, because you run out of money. You, you yeah. try to move up, but it doesn't make sense. So you go back down where you're going to have some fun. Yeah. Hammer going to the late models. He yeah. ran late models for a few years, didn't he? He won a tour race up in Quebec. Did he? Yeah. He yeah. won races okay. at Thunder Road and Airborne. Yeah. He was a hell of a late model driver. Okay. Yeah. But I then so. it becomes too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's different. I, I, I enjoyed running Tigers back in the day more than I do now, I think. But so Justin said, you start out still this giant field. We mentioned the names, the who's who of Tiger drivers. But then you kind of transition all the way through to this point where there's, you know, seven, eight, nine of you and you're running segments every week. Was that a bummer? So I actually retired like two or three times in between the the massive car counts and the low car counts. Um, so I... It's uh, like I stopped in 2010 with my dad. We just had enough. And then I raced for a couple of people and there were still decent car counts then. But the year I came back with my own car, st- stupid there, they were still doing segments at Grofton. But I can't remember if they were doing, I, I didn't do much segment racing at Thunder Road. I don't think I did any segment racing at Thunder Road because I kind of, came back when it was when the tigers were coming back i guess is what you'd say do you have any insight as to why that happened i mean because there were a lot of guys that did the same thing you did where they just stopped showing up for a while 
I don't know. I so they switched tires in two thousand. Let's see, in two thousand nine, they went to the Goodyears. Yeah, and there was some weird stuff going on. Like the tires had, they were too. The sidewalls were too stiff. And I think there's a picture Buzz Fisher took of me, Flurry, Jimmy Hebert, and somebody else pouring smoke off the right rear of the tires. And it was like you had to put a right rear on a race just to do anything. And that was when it was unlimited tire buy. And there was people with money that could go out and buy 40 tires a year. No problem. And I think when they switched to them good years, it just it made the racing worse. And and then obviously the being able to buy, you know, if, if you had the money to buy tires and that made you fast, then what's the point of that? You know what I mean? So I it was right around that time that I thought the car count started going down. And they only ran them. I guess they ran them for quite a while. I think from 2009 to 14, I think is actually they they ran them that long, and then then 15 they switched, and then I think that's when the numbers started coming back up. Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah. So I think that played a big role in it, and and in that time of those tires, they switched the tigers to all aftermarket front end parts. You know the monoball ball joints adjustable idle arm center link and it was making it too expensive you know and and you'd have to go you'd have to either be a good setup guy know what you're doing with with uh bump steer and everything and a tiger or settle for 10th 15th you know where the guys with money could go see dudo say hey i need to make this thing go and i think that's a lot of it, really. That stuff has kind of gone away, hasn't it? Yep, we're all back to stock. Yep, everything's going to be stock, and the car count reflects that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it- I have to ask, and it kind of stinks to bring up. I met you, I think, for the first time when my cousin Sean raced the Tigers there for a little bit, and I knew you because I knew Chris. Yep, being a Hazen guy, and he was a couple years older than me, so probably what about five years older than you. And everywhere I saw you, Chris was usually there. And anyone that knows Chris, if he's if Chris has your back, he's got your back. (laughs) Unfortunately, we lost Chris a little bit ago. Was that a little? Was that tough for you going back to the track? Not having him? Um, I, n- n- no, not not so much going to the track. I mean, Chris helped for a long time. Um, but just like life, he had kids, got himself a woman. Yeah. And Jason took a, you know, back seat. And I, Chris, Chris didn't run hardly any tiger races with us, you know, because he was taking care of his kids and his family. So that was a lot of the reason that we did end up getting done 
full-time racing, me and dad, was we didn't have any help. It was mm-hmm. me and him and my uncle. And, you know, with Chris there, you knew he was going to be there. He would work his butt off. You know, you'd tell him to do anything and he would do it. And it was he was the type of person you needed in the pits. And when he was gone, it kind of, you know, he and he wasn't set up. He wasn't anything. He was just a good crew member. And when we lost him, you know, due to life and, and nothing you're going to do about it. And he kind of just got away from the racing scene. And whether that was part of the reason where he went, who knows, you know, unfortunately. But, yeah, it was a bummer to lose him for sure. He was a hell of a driver for a couple of years too. Yeah, yeah, he ended up buying our last street stock. Yeah, yeah, and he. Uh, but the only problem with him is he had a temper. <laughs> yep, and he'd show it no matter what. Yep, and that that's initially what cost him his racing career. I think I, I want to say he got kicked out of Thunder Road. I'm, I'm pretty sure he did for uh, as far as driving for wrecking somebody under yellow or something. Gotta love it. Yep. <laughs> There's a million Hodgdons that have raced at Thunder Road and Grove Tona and everywhere else. Which ones are you related to? None of All them. All of them? None, None of them. Of them. <laughs> no. No. I, I don't. So my wife's laughing at me over here, but I don't. If we're if I'm related to Chris and Bunker, it's very distantly. But though, if if I had to say I was related to any of the Hodgdons, it'd be them. I think they're like six cousins or something like that. Huh. We're all cousins, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I didn't know there was that much separation between the Hardwick Hodgdons and the Craftsbury Hodgdons. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's it's pretty de- it's pretty distant. Uh, whether real or imagined. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... You know, you kind of, you were up and you were down and you were in and you were out. Um, you went over to Grove Tona um, during the, the Speedway 51 years. And you and Brendan Moody had, it was, this, you know, honestly, Tom and I went through this the other night. It was, he won a week, you won a week. He won a week, you won a week. Um, that was a, I mean, it seemed like a fun time for you. Or was it? Um, that was an interesting time. I'll say that. So that was... I was crewing for Brendan in my off time of racing. Like that was my way to go into the racetrack, being able to kind of stay with it. You know, I, I like working on cars. That's what I do for a living. Like it was, that's how I go through it. And he told me about Mike Martin's old car. And he's like, you should buy that. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. Like I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I had a kid on the way. And I ended up buying it and I went through it that winter did a, you know, as a winter project hobby type thing, went through it, got it ready for the first year. And that's when Tucker started helping me because he was dating my sister. Tucker Williams. Yes. Yep. And Wiener's nephew. Yes. We've established. Wiener's yes. nephew, Tucker yes. Williams. <laughs> it must um, be from his mother's side of the family, right? <laughs> well, I, that's questionable. I think it might be both. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I remember 
like I had this little cheat sheet from when I bought that my first tiger that went so well, like we had a, a setup sheet and I put that setup in it and I put my camera caster, everything in it. And I, I go to a, a little function Tucker was there, my sister. So I talked a little racing with him. I said, Hey, uh, I see you. What do you think I should run the caster at in this, in this car? Oh, I don't know. That's a question from my dad and totally changed the subject. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's kind of weird, you know, whatever. And and we had raced together, whatever. So I kind of blew it off, did what I wanted to do to the car. And I was going racing over to Grofton at the first race alone. I had no help. Tucker shoots me a text, says, you, you going racing? I said, yep. So he comes with me. My dad didn't go. My parents didn't go. Nobody went. Just me and Tucker, my sister. And we ended up winning the first race over there. And... It was, you know, drama, of course, because Brennan was the champion over there. He was winning everything. And that fed Tucker like you wouldn't believe because he obviously had gotten done racing and he was a crew chief for his dad for so long. And it like that was it (laughs) that it was game on from that first race because it fed him so much. It was unreal. So, okay, so why was he awkward with you at the beginning and then decided to text you and say, hey, I'll I'll be your crew chief now? So I found, you know, I found this out, you know, throughout working with Tucker and I worked with Eric as well. They are very to themselves because they did everything themselves. They, Eric worked on that car by himself, figured that stuff out by himself. Eric, you know, and taught Tucker. Tucker doesn't tell anything. The secrets. He doesn't tell you what he does to the car. I worked with him for, I don't know, six years racing, five years. He never told me anything what he did to the car, you know, and I, I didn't expect him to. He was there helping me and I, you know, and it was, it worked. It, it was great. It, it clicked. You know, I didn't need to know what he was doing to the car. You know, and he just, man, that kid's good. (laughs) So I'm there at the time, track announcing, and you and Brendan are doing pretty much the best racing of the night because it's segments, and you two are starting last every segment pretty much, and it's a race to see who can get through the field fastest first. And it's going back and forth, like Justin said. Then one night, you don't make it through tech. What happened? Because you didn't return after that. So, this is... It was a it was a mess over there, as far as tech and everything else, and who you talk to to get things clarified, and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just a... Like, they did a great thing for the facility. They just needed to drain the swamp, I guess is how I'd say it. So, the car I bought was Mike's old car, which Brendan knew everything about. Everything. Everything that was illegal. Everything that wasn't supposed to be on the car. And I... They 
pointed right at something and said, that's illegal. You have to, you're DQ'd. Actually, I take that back. They said, that's illegal. We need to talk about what we're going to do. Take the trophy and go home. And I'm like, I'm not taking the trophy. I know you're DQing me. Take the trophy. And we're, we're, it's fine. Whatever. Just DQ me. Yeah. Why, why bring it back if you're getting DQ'd, right? Right. Like, obviously, they said that it was illegal. And I had two things illegal in the car. And so did another car in tech that night. And I was, we go through the week and I'm trying to figure out what to do. Like, do I get the car ready to go back to go racing? You know, what they wanted me to change was a winter project, not a week project. And to go over there and run, obviously, what was happening, like, it wasn't worth it for me to fix. So, like, Wednesday rolls around, and I was still declared the winner of the race. Like, it was on there. You know, they did press releases, everything. And get a call Thursday, and we're going supposed to go racing Saturday, that I was DQ'd. Because they called and asked Chuck Beatty what they would do. And they said, no, that's illegal and needs to be, that's a disqualification. So I was disqualified four days later, five days later. And, you know, it was illegal. I knew it was illegal. And I ran it, taking the chance. They saw it. I don't know. It was like the ninth race of the season. They saw that car every week in tech. And it wasn't, it was blatant obvious stuff for control arm mounts removed. And it was blatant obvious. Anybody that knew what they were looking at would see it and say, yep, that's illegal. So, it, you know, I didn't blame anybody for DQing me. It's what the tech guy's supposed to do. Do it at the beginning of the year, not when you're got the closest championship battle you've had at Riverside for, you know, 10 years with two races left. So it was, it was kind of a bummer and come to find out later on a couple years down the road when my, my buddy that was there told that they were informed what to check, what was illegal in my car and they should look at, look for it. So it was, it was kind of a bummer. We decided not to go back because they wanted me to add, if I didn't fix it, they wanted me to add 150 pounds to my car. All right, so there's obviously a, a bad taste in your mouth, and you got a car to fix. And now Chuck Beatty, being the tech guy at Thunder Road, knows you're illegal, so you can't go race there until it's fixed. Uh, so what do you do? So we went, and I think we ran two more races that year. I think we went to Thunder Road for Labor Day. And if I remember correctly... Brendan was running for a championship there and I just felt like going to Thunder Road and racing and I wasn't going to go ruin any points championship down there but make my presence known that I wasn't very happy with you know everything that went on and and just ran the car and then we ran it at White Mountains once too um and tore it down that winter and me and tucker 
change the upper control arm mounts and I was super nervous to to do it to touch anything like that. I was scared it was going to mess up the handling of the car. So we did it. He's very like meticulous and we took measurements of everything. Put the stock one on. It was like it didn't change anything to the speed of the car. So we fixed both the things that were illegal on it and went back out racing at Thunder Road. And the first race there finished third. So everything that was illegal did absolutely nothing to the car to make it better. So how are you and Brendan Moody today? I mean, was it, if you guys were buddies before and all this goes down, what, you know, have you talked about it? It's years later now. I ain't talked to him. No, yeah, I hold a grudge for quite a while. And that's probably one that I'll hold forever. But hmm. it's, you know, I, it, the bummer about it is, is it, like I said, was probably the best championship battle there was. Because like you said, it was him and me. And it was, and some days it was a blowout. I would completely walk all over him and and I will say this less times I'd he'd walk all over me than I walk over him. Like we were fast. Tucker was hungry. Like we were fast. The car was good. And it was just like, you know, I could have cared less. I would like to have seen it play out, you know, unfortunately it didn't. And I wasn't going back with 150 pounds of lead on my car. Like there's no way. Cause them like, a sitting duck. I, there's nothing I could have done with that. Plus, with the car count there for Tigers, with the DQ, you weren't going to catch him. No. No, because they gave me... They didn't take all my points away. They took... They gave me last place finishing, which, go figure, that night, there was the most cars there had been all year. So, I mean, it hurt, obviously. But it, yeah, there was no way I was catching him, you know, and I wasn't gonna go back and finish second and flop around, you know. I'd rather taken my time over the winter and, and fixed it, and and if I could have fixed it in a in a week, and, and if they would have told me Sunday that I was DQ'd, not Thursday, and gave me two days to fi- fix it, you know what I mean? Like it, we might have done it just to prove a point because I like doing that. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it was just shitty how it went down. Let's take a break from our podcast and tell you about the people that help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Now the chances are pretty good that if you're listening to the show, you love to play outdoors. If you're going to be on the trails, on the water, in the dirt or in the snow, the first place to go is LaCare's power sports in East Montpelier. LaCares is the area's only authorized Polaris dealer, and they have brand new industry-leading Polaris ATVs, side-by-sides, and snowmobiles in stock and ready for you, plus a great selection of pre-owned equipment. If you're getting ready for winter, there's still a handful of 2023 Polaris sleds available. But don't wait, because they'll go fast. Plus, check out LaCare's full line of parts and accessories, riding gear like helmets, boots, gloves, jackets, and more, 
or make an appointment with the skilled professionals in their full service and repair department. And by the way, it's not too early to start thinking about next summer with a 2023 Pinecraft pontoon boat, a Mercury outboard motor, a Hewitt dock, or a Polaris Razor sport side-by-side. How about a Polaris Ranger UTV or a Polaris Sportsman ATV? Now you know all about the LeCare family's racing history and you know they don't settle for anything less than perfection. The same is true about their other passion, LeCare's power sports. In fact, they've been at it for 61 years. Check out their virtual showroom, catalog, and services online at lacares.com. Find Lacares Power Sports on Facebook or give them a call, 802-476-8199. Lacares Power Sports, Route 14 in East Montpelier, Vermont. If you've got a home project going on, your first stop should be Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated. From flooring to kitchens, from bathrooms to outdoor projects, from your home to your business, they are number one in Central Vermont. As you've heard on this show, Justin and I are officially middle-aged super dads now. And one of our favorite hobbies is looking at the Barry Tile Facebook page to see their latest projects. I love the carpeting and hardwood flooring, and he loves the kitchen countertops and shower installations. And it's true. Barry Tile has been family owned for 50 years and their experience shows in every single job. It's high quality work by highly qualified people who can design and install everything you need to upgrade your home or office. It's not a big chain store. It's local people with common sense and a ton of skill. Be like us and check out the Barry Tile Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. Or you can give them a call at 802-476-0912. You can also stop into the showroom at 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, and tell them that the guys from Uncommon Deeds sent you. It's almost here. Winter is coming, and at least one New England snowstorm is going to knock your power out. When that happens and you're in the dark, you'll be wishing that you had called Bushy's Generator Sales and Service. So don't wait. Bushy's has been recognized as the number one dealer of Briggs & Stratton home standby generators in the state of Vermont, and they're also a leading dealer of Kohler generators. From sales and installation to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators, from 10 kilowatts to 200, Bushy's is the only call you need to make. And hey, racers, you know how important it is to have small portable generators at the track, and Bushy's had you covered there too. After all, they're racers too, and they know what you're looking for. Check out their selection of Briggs & Stratton inverters and have the power where you need it, when you need it. Wayne and Ben Bushy have more than a decade's experience in this business, and Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont, New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. And now, back to our show. 2017, you kind of dubbed around, right? Not, 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 you didn't race full time. And then 2018, if Tucker was hungry before, <laughs> my God, you must have not fed him for a whole year because you guys were killing him at Thunder Road in 2018. Yeah. Well, 2017, we ran the Triple Crown, basically. <laughs> and that's before they did the plus minus. And so I was going there with no handicap, starting last in the heat qualifying because of the car count there wasn't you know there's 26 or 28 of us and i was going from you know almost dead last because i was a non-qualified car and i podiumed three out of four of them triple crown races and 
the car was good. We were working good. We got a couple new crew guys that Tucker brought in. So at that point, we had, I want to say, three of us, uh, two from his crew that joined us. And, you know, almost had a chance to win the Melt Bowl that year in 17. And that's when that's when the rivalry, rivalry between me and Dwayne actually started. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> so what started it? The melt bowl. Yep. The I qualified I time trial terrible. I always have. And I qualified seventh and rode around in the top five for quite a while. And there was a late restart and I got up to third and I was following Dwayne and Mike Martin. And Dwayne was on the bottom. Mike was on the top and I was watching it. I was just sitting there. I couldn't go anywhere. I wasn't going to go three wide, you know? So I was sitting there and I'm watching and Dwayne's running Mike up and I'm like, okay, I see what Dwayne's doing. And it, the race was getting closer to being over and Dwayne kept moving him up, moving him up. And I could attack the corner like crazy. And I said, next lap, if he does it again, I'm going three wide. And I had, I had made my mind up for a whole lap that, if Dwayne moved him up, I was going. And sure shit, he did. And that time he moved him up even higher. And I said, here's my chance to win the segment of the Melt Bowl. That's what I'm here for. And I get underneath him and he notices and starts chopping me. Yes. And I'm like, I'm here. Like, I'm not here, here. I'm here. Like, he, he, was, he was hitting above my right front tire like I, I didn't have a tire in but i stayed there and i ended up getting him but not mike and we rolled into tech and his Dwayne's old man comes over and i'm still in the car belted in obviously couldn't do anything he says you're not finishing the race tomorrow and i'm like okay so instantly you know mad I don't like it when someone threatens to wreck me, whatever. So we go through tech, they're checking for tire softener and him and Woodard get into it in tech. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. So the pressure's off me. I don't have Dwayne to worry about now. Like he's obviously mad at Woodard, you know, let them go at it. I'd just be a, you know, sitting back and watching. So the next day we race, I ended up blowing a tire and Woodard ended up winning the milk bowl. Well, he got DQ'd that year for tire softener. So Dwayne ended up winning it. So we went all through the winter and in the, in the next year, Dwayne had won. So he won the milk bowl. He won late. So he won, he had won four in a row Yeah, and Brandon beat his streak or whatever. And then it was me and him for the championship. What three races in it? He obviously had won the first two, and I finished third, fourth, and second, I think. So it was me and him running for the championship. And I remember at plainest day, like Tucker came out to work on the car, and I said, Well, I guess this is you know the, the first triple crown's over. I guess we'll just tinker on it and get it ready for the next triple crown because we didn't plan on running a full season that year. And he says, Well, we should probably go back and, and see what we can do. And 
you know, might as well. We got nothing else going on. And you could see the look in Tucker's face like, yeah, we're running all year. Like mm-hmm. you could just tell like he was he wanted it. He he knew what we had, you know, and then it just went down with me and Dwayne like he knew I was right there on his heels and I gained every week on him. Like it wasn't like I didn't start ahead of him. He started ahead of me points wise all year because he was leading the points the first race. Seemed like there was a moment though, like the spark kind of lit the fire to run a full season or to the battle between you and Dwayne. So the first, the first, my, the first race I won that year in 2018 was, uh, in, was the 4th of July race. So I was steadily picking up, you know, top fives and slowly catching him. And the, the, that race, you know, ended up being Dwayne, couple of us running for the lead and it's funny like i've watched the tape a million times and in my head i don't i don't remember like taking a chance but you can see Dwayne thought he was going to go to the outside real quick and didn't think that i would be able to fill that hole in the bottom like i did and i filled that hole in the bottom and he threw a block on me pretty hard and all I can remember was he ran that stupid Camaro body that would cut tires if you even touched it. Yeah. And I just hoped and prayed that I didn't cut a right front tire when he, you know, come down on me. And we go into turn one, same thing. He's pinching me down like crazy. And I entered the corner corner like I normally would. And he went for up the track. He washed up the track and I kept going. And that's when all hell broke loose as far as the championship. He he was mad. He was mad at me. And it was funny because I remember in tech, like, or uh, Victory Lane, he was steaming. Like, uh, like blurry-eyed, like, he was mad. Full and Dwayne. Just, yeah, yeah. And and I remember, like, my I always had a lot. I, I still have a lot of respect for Dwayne. Like, he can say what he wants. He's a wheel man. I have respect for him. And and my old man does too. And my old man went to congratulate him. And like I thought stuff was gonna go down and tack. And my old man's not a fighter. He he he's not into that shit. And like Dwayne's stomping around, like stiff armed, blurry eyed. And I'm like, he came over to me and I'm like, Dwayne, I did exactly what you would have done. And he looks at me eyes kind of go back and forth he's like you know what you're right and his arms loosened up his eyes straightened out and it's good to go but he was not good to go in his head he knew i was the guy that he had to do whatever he had to to beat because he knew that i was gonna hold my own against him instead of backing down like you know what I mean? You know, like he wanted yeah. everybody to balk. And, and a lot of people usually did that. Yeah. And I, and, I, and, you know, Tucker told me, he's like, 
I get all, all the time in the world to work on this race car. If he wants to go, if, if that's how things are going to go down, let's go, you know? And it kind of changed the way I drove a little bit more and kind of, you know, that race was kind of the, the pivotal moment of, okay, it's on. So he said his kind of last race there, he's running, I think, double O Joe. They're ahead of you. He said, you're way back in his rearview mirror. You spin out. He gets black flagged, even though you're behind him. You both go to the back. What do you remember about that? So I remember after I spun out. So they were beating and banging. And I started six in that race. And I'm like, ooh, okay, we're starting up front. Like, this is good. I get dragged back to, like, 12th. And I caught those guys in a hurry. And I was just riding in third, watching Double O Joe and Dwayne Lanfear go at it. And both of you know that Double O Joe and Dwayne going at it is going to end not good. And, yeah, <laughs> you know. I'm sitting there riding in third and I see Dwayne almost clear him. I said, well, I got momentum coming off the four. I'm going for it. So I get up beside double O Joe and Dwayne does this like tail slap to, to Joe and Joe is like a brick shit house on the racetrack. And Dwayne comes back up the track and I'm there, you know, like he did. Whether he knew I was there or not, I don't know. Dwayne is a pretty crafty dude. And maybe he's like, mm, I'm going to shoot my shot while I've got it. I don't know. I never blamed him for doing that intentionally. I wasn't the one that sent him to the rear of the field for doing that to me. And I had ultimately spun out. And, you know, I... I I don't know. You you know, you'll never know the truth of whether he intentionally did that or not. Nobody will. So I, I, I don't know. So your your dad was mad at me that year. <laughs> uh I was I think it was the last year that I wrote for the newspapers. And uh he kind of accused me of being a Dwayne lover. Um and one of the nights that you won I don't know what night, but I think it was that night. Yeah, we're all running to Victory Lane, me to, to do my job, uh, get an interview, and we might have been doing radio, Tom. I don't know for all I know. But he slaps me on the back while he's running to Victory Lane. He goes, your boy Dwayne sucked tonight or something like that. I don't know what he said. And I so I, I kind of called your dad out in the newspaper that week, and I was like, hey, look, <laughs> this is fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> the only guys not having fun were you and Dwayne. <laughs> it was uh, it was a classic battle. Yeah. It was so, fun. There's one thing about my dad is he's awfully proud of me and my sister. And he has very different ways of showing it. And that was his way of showing that he was some proud of me beating Dwayne. That, and I knew that. And that was, you know, that's that's how my dad is. And yeah, I took no offense by it. I, in fact, I loved that he was that fired up because he usually, yeah. you know, your dad's not that guy. Yeah. And, and it's uh, hard. I, I really enjoyed the passion that everybody had that year. Yeah. It was, it was wild, man. It was, and 
And I, I tell you, you know, Dwayne can say he handed me the championship. I, I don't really care what he says because I took the point lead from him that night at fair and square. I won, I won that race. We both started in the rear. I won that race after the spin and he wasn't even top five. And I, I got the point lead from him that night. So I earned that point lead fair and square. Make no bones about it. So the fact, you know, like, and then I, I don't even, you know what I mean? Like I would have loved to seen him come back because that would, if I would have got second that year and we raced our asses off, so be it. I was going to ask, are you disappointed that you two didn't get to finish it? So the next race, when he didn't show up, I flopped around. <laughs> like, I think I finished, I finished top 10, but I wasn't good. Like, I, I and I've always needed a rabbit to chase and, and, you know, something to fuel my, I don't like, I, it's weird. Like when I'm leading a race like that, the last hundred lapper I won, I started on the pole. I hated it because I was setting the pace. Like I, I hated it. And nothing worse. being there yeah. fed my, it fed everybody's drive. Like we're going to, we're here to beat Dwayne because we're going to win this championship, you know? And yeah, I mean, it sucked that he quit. It, it, I, I wanted to beat him and I, I can say, tell you hundred percent honesty, I'd have beat him that year. There's there's no way that he would have got around us. The momentum we had, there's there's no way he would have come back. And that aside, you mentioned it earlier. You stuck around the street stocks for quite a while because you wanted that championship, but you couldn't get it. What did it mean, especially at a time in your racing career where you were intending to run? for a championship or be there every week to, you know, have that motivation from Tucker, from whoever to go every week and to finally kind of cement your tiger legacy for lack of a better term. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Like we, cause you won two championships that year. <laughs> yeah. So the first one was the triple crown championship that we won. And I remember it plain as day. I won that race. And that was the one I started on the pole. And I I swear my dad put my helmet hook through his head, jumping into my car to congratulate me. Like he dove in that car and I'm like, what are you doing? And he was just so like shaking me around, so excited. And it just, I mean, my dad put a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of effort in with my racing career. And it was just, and I, I, I'm in the same boat he's in right now, 10 years ago when we were racing, he works in cars, go home and work on the race car. He got burnt out. He was doing it alone. I was in call it like just, he got burnt out. And I, I, I think if he hadn't got burnt out, we'd still be racing together really. And, and I think it was just, it was so cool to see how pumped he was and 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 he was on the hill like he was sitting in the stands watching he wasn't in the pits you know he wanted to watch and it was just it was pretty awesome 
you know. Uh, the milk bowl that year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever going to happen again, man. Uh, but you swept both segments. That's insane. Yeah. I, I, we time trialed good, which is something I've never done. I said it earlier. We time trialed second to water. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start on the outside. Hopefully I can get to the bottom, you know, and just try to dog him. And I, I don't know what happened, but by turn four for the first lap, I had him cleared and probably two or three car lengths on him. And of course, between before the melt bowl was when I wrecked the car on championship night. Yes. So the car had a whole new right front suspension and I'm the type of guy that's like, Oh my God nothing's going to be right. It's going to be all messed up. Like I was super nervous going into it. And dude, that thing was a rocket ship. And I think I was just so hungry to go because my championship night got ruined that there was no stopping us that weekend. But like, does, is there a moment in segment two where you're like, holy shit, we're going to do this. Like, or, or did it just happen? No, I, so I raced like a complete moron. I took every All chance right. I could take, you know, uh, I knew who I was racing against. It was Woodard and Cooper Bouchard. And at one point I put them three wide right up the middle because I knew I had to pass them and they gave me the lane. I don't even think we touched. And I just took every single chance I could take because I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. I wanted the milk bowl. I'd never won one in I don't know how many years I've tried. And I just took chances. And you can ask Logan Powers because I was pitted next to him this year. And he asked me, he's like, what's it take to win the milk bowl? I looked right at him and I told him just what I told you. Take chances. You got a winner to fix it. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. So he did that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, I like, I can, there's, there was two moves that I made that were like, just silly. Like I never in a million years would have made those moves regular racing. Like if I was racing for points or anything and they just happened to work and, and just worked perfectly. (laughs) I, I don't even know how else to explain it. So maybe I should race like that every race. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Going off the high of that championship. Uh so you're semi retired. You're not gonna run full time, only a few races. You end up running full time, triple crown, championship, milk bowl, and now you're in a freaking late model the next season. Yeah something that i didn't think would ever happen um being in a late model that's for sure um tucker sent me a link of course at this point i got four crew guys like solid crew guys that are coming to the shop we're working on the car like if there's an ounce of weight on the car my buddy mike like dude he he'll do anything 
just for the fun of working on a car. And like, it was the right time to go to a late model. And Tucker sent me this link for a late model in Massachusetts. And I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? He says, I don't know. Sell your car. Let's buy this. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. And I had the hardest time selling my championship car. I, I have no idea why, but I finally sold it and got myself enough money to buy that late model as a roller. And we went to Massachusetts and bought it. And we were planning on doing some different things with it. It was, it was, uh, not the, not what we wanted. And then I ended up buying Evan Hallstrom's car that was complete race ready. And yeah, that was, that was, uh, pretty cool that he, you know, it wasn't even my idea. It was Tucker's idea to go late model racing. Really had stuff carried over. I mean, his father had stopped racing for a while at that point had stuff progressed with a late model or did he come armed and ready with a notebook? Yeah, no, it, Eric was racing, you know, big spring, small bar stuff. He never ran what we were running. Um, but that didn't, stop eric from thinking about it you know what i mean like and i I, i'll tell you tucker tucker's up for every challenge any challenge doesn't matter and eric wasn't involved that whole first season until the milk bowl of 2019 and it was all tucker as far as setup stuff that whole first year we went to Nick's before the first race, Nick Sweets, and got a baseline. And it was like, you know, obviously for me, it's kind of a bummer because I didn't get to see all the stuff go on. But I was sitting in the car and you could hear Tucker, like Nick would say something and Tucker would be like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And everything that Nick would say to Tucker, it just freshened him up. Like he knew what he was doing. That car never had to go to Sweets to get a base set up. Tucker knew exactly what he was doing exactly what he's looking for and what needed to be done to the car to make it the changes that needed to be done to make, you know, me happy in the car. So we went to Oxford with it and just having a good time. My buddy has a toter home. We went up there first, first late model race. We go to an ACT race at Oxford, never been there, never seen the, well, I've seen the track, but never been around it. And that's what we do. We go to an ACT race and Played PlayStation in the Toter home, you know, while it was raining. Like, no worries in the world that I was racing, you know, all these guys. I didn't care. It was like I was racing back in the street stocks until I sat in that car. And it was like, holy crap. I almost puked. (laughs) Had any of those guys paid attention to you? Did they know who Joel Hodgson was or do they still not know? I, I mean... Did you have any sort of weight in that pit area as, you know, you had a hell of a year. It was a tiger, but you had a hell of a year. No, no, I don't think so. No, I I don't. It's, it's so funny. You go, like we've talked about the street stocks to the tigers. And I think there's a reason why I keep going back to the tigers, but you go to the late models and it's like you might as well put blinders between the trailers 
like i think i don't even remember who i t- parked next to but we didn't talk none of us talked at all you know and it was just weird like the tigers man we'd go talk to everybody have a good time but like no I, the late models you're i no i no i don't think anybody knew who i was really so kind of to go back to a question i asked earlier but now with the late model what is that learning curve like for you because a late model drives a lot different than a tiger it was it was hard um especially at oxford you know where you you're not on the throttle you know it's like you never hit the full throttle but i think the biggest thing with the with the late model that I was always worried about was burning my tires up because that's what everybody talked about was burning your tires up. And I, it was in my head that I was burning my tires up every race. I was burning my tires up. Got to stop. I'm burning my tires up and I've got throttle control. I've had throttle control and it just, it took a long time to figure out that I wasn't burning my shit up and I need to take what I can get. Like I thought those things drove themselves, right? I thought that they were smooth. Like you, they just did their thing until I watched Rich DeBose in bar, in car camera from Labor Day classic. And I, I remember I texted Tucker that night. I said, dude, I just watched Rich DeBose in, in car camera and he's sawing that wheel off like am i supposed to be doing that like you know the tiger you do that right but in the late model i'm like no this thing's supposed to be no you're professional now you're in a late model we don't do that yeah and i'm like and after i watched that i'm like dude i've totally been being a pansy in this late model and that's kind of when things started going a little bit better like we ran Thunder Road. I, I still don't know what's up with Thunder Road in a late model. Like I still haven't been able to figure that out. But we got a pretty good knack for White Mountain, and like I, I and I don't know why. I, I think you got to. I think you got to drive harder at White Mountain, and it fit my style a little bit better. And like we came on at White Mountain. We were leading the Governor's Cup over there, uh, leading Wayne Hellowell in the Governor's Cup over there. Right. Stupid thing overheated, and I think cost us to win in that. What's that moment like for you to look in your mirror and be like, shit, <laughs> there's that guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, so there was two twin 100 lappers a couple weeks before that. And dude, the car was a rocket. And it was next week swept on both, of course. But I broke the first night and smashed the wall. And we were camping there. And I remember my wife and daughter were there and, and my buddy's wife was there, one of the crew guys. And we spent all night working on that car because it was so fast. We knew if we got it back to where we were, we were gonna win the next race. And we worked on it all night, all the next morning. So hot, like it was brutal for the car to overheat again. So we get through them. We're like, ah, I changed the radiator hose. Like that's on me. I had an air pocket. So then we go to that governor's cup. Car unloads same way, like super fast. Started deep, 
past all these guys and I was watching Wayne Hellwell on my spotter mirror and my review because I like I made myself uh comfortable in that character so I can use my mirrors because I don't like my spotter I don't like spotters I think they should be gone but I remember watching him and it was so funny because like I was obviously staying ahead of him giving it everything I had and just watching him move his bumper down and down like at that speed at, at racing, I could tell that what he was doing, like he was moving down because he was going to try to get to the bottom of me. And it was, it was awesome to be in front of Wayne Hellwell. Like <laughs> it was, it was awesome. And then the moment overheated, I thought I was going to cry. Are you like taking that in during the race and, and kind of like giggling about it? Like I'm beating Wayne Hellwell right now or, or is it after the fact you look back and you're like, man, that was cool. Or, I mean, because it's sort of the the way that you just said that. It's like, guys, look at me. I'm, look at the guy behind me and then look at me. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty damn cool. I obviously had a job to do in the car. But afterwards, I said, I was, we were all talking about it. Because in my opinion, if we didn't overheat and it stayed green, okay, a restart might have been a completely different story because I would have probably choked on my shoes. But if it stayed green, he either would have had to move me or outdrive me, which he probably a good chance that he would have done because he, he obviously won the $10,000 win race the next weekend. But I, I I think we could have stayed right there. But no, I, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about doing my job and winning that race. But it was certainly talked about on the way home. So you said you never could have imagined getting the opportunity to run a late model. So could you have imagined winning in a late model? No. Nope. Nope. I didn't think that, well, especially the, the, the bad luck that we had the first year. I hit everything but the pace car and had motor troubles for, you know, six races. Like it was... We we had the speed, but we definitely it was like no, this isn't for us. What are we doing? This is silly. You know, I I say I don't I don't know why I didn't give up, but I do. The crew wouldn't let me. You know what I mean? Like they were just as hungry as I was. Was there a, a turning point though, where like you know, kind of it sounded like Tucker was the engine, and then you became the engine, or was yeah. it always the same role? Yeah, I, it's so weird. Like, you you look at a, you know, you always hear that saying, perfectly oiled machine. That was my crew. That was my crew, right to a T. We all had a job. We all knew when someone was upset, when someone was not doing what they needed to do for some reason, they would come out and tell you, help you, and fix you, Right. And I was getting frustrated. I'm a mechanic, and I couldn't figure out why that car was overheating. The motor went to a motor shop. Like, it's kind it of the was, easiest thing, right? Oh, it was like bad. And finally, my dad told me a little trick to try. And me and Mike worked on it one night. And, of course, in between the 2018 season and 2019 season, I had my second kid. 
So time was even tighter as far as working on stuff. So it was kind of silly to go to a late model with the timing, but we did. And we worked on it and found that it was leaking water internally. And I was going to call it a season. I was ready to call it a year. And they're like, no, let's go find a motor. And Mike found him two motors, you know, because he was Dudo's snap-on guy. So he had like, you know, hey, Dudo, you know if there's any motors? And we found two, and I went and bought one off Brooks Clark and finished the year on that instead of giving up because my team wouldn't let me give up. But that doesn't really answer Tom's question. I I like that that's where the team is. I but what's it like for you in victory lane to finally, you know, to do that when it's something that even though that was your second year, you, it's not like you're not used to driving a late model at this point, but you're over mm-hmm. white mountain racing over there and contending. And finally you get a, you get a victory. Then you get a second one. And I mean, for us in this part of the country, that's the pinnacle, right? The late models are every kid's dream. So what is it like for you to finally win or a race in a division that you sort of feel you don't belong in? So that that win was awesome. It was like nothing I'll ever feel again. Unfortunately, I got booed like you wouldn't believe in the grandstands over there because why? I moved Stacy Cahoon up the track a little bit. And I didn't necessarily move Stacy Cahoon. I drove in to win the race and we were there and I moved him up and won the race. And over there, you know, it's obviously Stacy Cahoon's playground. And I have so much respect for Stacy Cahoon. The year before, he gave me a drive shaft out of his car, his car that he blew up so I could run a race. Like it was nothing personal to Stacy. I wanted to win that race and I wanted to win it bad. And it's what anybody would, what DJ Shaw did at the Corliss this year to win, you know, and it was my first win. And I felt like if I didn't get that monkey off my back, I was going to go crazy. And I feel like Stacy probably gave you a, yeah. a nice handshake and a high five or whatever after or. No, I never. Nope, I didn't talk to the Cahoons after. I, I'm awkward with confrontation. I don't like it, and and I knew they were frustrated with me, and I just kind of let it go. And I haven't talked to any of them guys since. And I don't know. I'm just not a confrontational guy, and I know they would have been pissed. So he's a grudges guy, not a confrontation guy. Weird, isn't it? Weird. Yep. So let's have to get you some help. (laughs) There's no help. (laughs) So let's kind of fast forward to the present. You're back semi-retired, so to say, in and out. I think you subbed for Derek Calkins, I think, one week this year, towards the beginning of the year. Showed up with your own car, I think, a couple times. What's what's on the horizon for Joel Hodgson? I can't tell you. I don't know. I can't get out of it, but I can't stay in it. I, I don't know. It's weird. Like why why'd you get rid of the late model? So 
that year in 2020, obviously COVID and my, again, life happened. Uh, one of the crew guys had a kid. One of them was getting, no, one of them. Yeah. One of them, two of them had kids, two of them had kids. One was going through a divorce and Tucker was building a house. So it was a scattered year with crew and it felt like the the time was right to to kind of step back because I can't I couldn't do it without the help, especially in a late model. And I wasn't gonna take time away from the crew, take the crew's time away from their family to to go racing. You know what I mean? And that like that year, the two times I won at White Mountain, Tucker was at home. He was, you know, guiding us with a cell phone, giving us some tricks, tips, you know, things to try. But he was at home for both of the wins. And it was just, it was tough, you know, because in a late model, you need four guys. Like, I scrounged up. My dad started coming back in the pits. My sister was there. Like, it was just, it was, it was time to, to kick, kick back it. If I had to do it again, I would have held on to it and raced how I'm racing right now. But someone was interested in the car. And with COVID going on, I felt like if there's a time to to sell, now's the time to do it. Or I'm not. You know, if something crashes down the road, I'm, I'll be stuck with a late model. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It's just a yeah, weird, absolutely weird time. The fire is still there or have you checked all the boxes? And if we're, if we've got a helmet and a race car, then we're good and we'll do whatever, whatever we got to do. I don't know. I, I love the race. I love to go down there and, you know, I'll sub for anybody that's got a car with four wheels. I don't care. I've obviously still got mine, but t- time is, time is certainly the problem now. And what I'm finding is I'm not putting the time into the car. And I'm running 10th and which is fine. I love driving stuff, so I don't care. But if I want to go down and compete again, I need to put the time into it that I don't have. And if I feel like racing, I guess I'll go racing. Otherwise I'll wait until my daughter is old enough and I'll build her a kid's car and let her have at it. I was going to ask if, you know, any of the kids have started to show a little twinkle in the eye around the racing. Cause it sounds like that was such a big part of your relationship with your dad that you would look to kind of try to recreate that with your own. Yeah. So when we were running the late model in 2020 and the help was tricky, my daughter was helping me set the toe. She was four years old and she's setting the toe with me in this late model, right? Crazy. And I, before I sold it, I sat her down and told her, I said, honey, I'm selling the race car. And she started bawling. She was so mad at me. And I think that's part of the reason that I still have a car because the kids like the racing. They helped me load it. They helped me unload it. Like they like that stuff. But I got my daughter uh, like an off-road little go-kart and she loves it. 
And when she was watching the milk bowl, she saw the little kids get out of the trucks in the in the, the kids division. And she said, I, I was it was here at home and she was with my wife and she said, Mommy, when can I do that? So I'm pretty sure she's hooked and I definitely want to try it with her if she wants to do it. Tell grandpa he's got to start checking those auctions again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if I told him he had to build a race car for his granddaughter, he would find something so fast it would make your head spin. Time for our Barry Tile quick hitters. Then we'll uh, let you go. First off, long road trip to a racetrack. You're driving the whole way. Who do you want riding shotgun with you? Oh, boy. Just one person? Yeah. I'm going to go with Tucker. I mean, are you guys strictly business? Or obviously there's relationship there. You know, but are you... Yeah, when you guys are when you guys are headed to a, a racetrack, is it you know blinders on, and we're talking about the race car, or is it? Yeah, you remember that time we went down to the thing and did the thing, and somebody got drunk, and then we had a thing. <laughs> no, there's no business. <laughs> That's the there's best. No business. So I'll say one quick funny thing before whatever then. We were running the first 250 at White Mountain, my rookie year in that late model. And Wayne Hellowell's next to me, right? And, and during the during the driver introductions, okay? Tina comes up, shakes all our hands, kisses Wayne, right? They have a relationship, whatever. So I get in the race car, and it's like lap 175. And we're pitted. We're just kind of hanging out with caution. And I come over the radio. I'm like, guys, guess what I saw? And they're like, what? I said, Tina kissed Wayne during driver introductions. And it was just like, that's what we did. Like, probably everybody else is talking about, hey, how's your tires or how's the car doing this and that? That's what we talked about on the radio when, and, and that's how the whole racing experience was with this group is, and ne- you never stop laughing. And that was the best part. You know, you, hell yeah. Like that, when I overheated, and got mad there after losing that race. I was throwing tools, smashing stuff. I was mad. I smashed my pinky in my toolbox, being a dummy. And everybody looks at me, and they start laughing. They said, How, how'd that feel, you dummy? And it was just, bam, I'm done. Done throwing my temper tantrum. I'm the one with a messed up pinky, and they're all laughing at me. And it was just, no, there's no business there. <laughs> God. Can you hold a seminar on that, please? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's Everybody crazy. It too damn seriously. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know the show. You know my question. What's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? Oh, boy. I'd, I'd, I'd say probably taking out the, losing that championship, dumping that guy. I got it because after that, I learned my lesson. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. 15-year-old kid. Yeah. Finally. At 15, not 30. Yeah, right. Last one. Let's have a little fun. Would you rather be killed by a bear or a shark? You have to choose one. (laughs) All right. Well, I don't like the water, so I'm going to go with a bear. Really? I feel like it would last a lot longer. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, 
I'd throw punch a bear, you know, if I had to. I'd give it a fight. <laughs> All right. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, now I actually do have one last question before we let you go. I I always do research and I found that your first real big win was in October of 2004 at Crassberry Academy. You won the pie eating contest at Autofest. <laughs> it was in the newspaper, man. So wow. bring us through that day. How, how'd you get up out of bed that morning? I mean, what's the mindset there? Oh man. I, I you honestly, you don't want to know, uh, how I started my day for that winter carnival or autumn fest. Thing. It was autumn fest. Yeah. We, we didn't get the winter yet. I, I actually do want to know now. I mean, what's the story here? Uh, some, I'll tell you, there's a reason I ate that pie and won that pie eating contest. And I was hungry. I was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a hero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah. Hungry. Okay. I get it. <laughs> oh, shoot. Joel, uh, whenever we see you behind the wheel, it'll be fun. Uh, I hope it's more often than not in 2023. Um, but enjoy the winter and enjoy your kids and your family and uh, get your ass back in that race car. Yeah. Well, I hope to be down there and I appreciate you guys having me on the show. I like, I love what you guys are doing. It's awesome. All right, man. Thanks again to Joel Hodgson. That was a fun conversation. Like I said. And again, thanks to Desi for yep. putting it together. Because once again, the wives and girlfriends and significant others and family members come through with the technology. And Maybe like next next year on Mother's Day, we should give a thank you to all the ones that helped <laughs> get their husbands, boyfriends, significant others on to a zoom call with us. Yeah. It happens a lot. lot. Call them the mother, the mothers of the pod. Mm. Oh, that actually works a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite the mother of dragons, but Hey, that's not bad. All right. The mothers of invention, Frank Zappa's band. Not the same. No, that's all right. Merch for sale, as always. All you gotta do send us a message with a size, what you need, and we will get that out to you. We have new stuff coming very soon. In fact, let's talk about it. We're talking uh, about this. We, yeah, we're gonna talk about it. Well, we want to get people thinking about it. I'm gonna let you talk have... about it because I don't know what you want to talk about, and I feel like I'm yeah. gonna give away something I'm not supposed to. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's one thing I'm not talking about. Um, but we are going to have winter hats and hoodies um, with the new, the flag, the UDP flag logo. Um, we're going to have some embroidered stuff that, you know, is real high class. We're going to have nice um, like flex fit hats as well. So get ready. That'll be coming in the next, I don't know. We'll do the pre-order pretty soon. We're going to have, I think, I don't know this, but I think we're going to try and have a, an online store set up at least for this run before the holidays to find out what we got to get. Um, because we've learned a lot of things about ordering and 
what not to buy <laughs> and quantities to not make and quantities that we need to make more of. Um, and, you know, I kind of have a, my foot in the door here with working at a, at a place that makes shirts and hats and all that stuff. So um, get ready. It'll be ready before the holidays for sure. Um, stay tuned. Yeah. And there is one, at least one very cool thing coming, probably two or three um, that Tom and I spent all of Friday night giggling about. Yeah. We have a t-shirt series coming yeah. out. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> like we got a lot done on, on that, that meeting. A little business, a little bit state of the union. We like to call it. Yeah. And I'm glad we both know kind of what that means now. Cause I think Justin thought I was leaving the podcast yeah, at one point. Me and I'm like, oh, no, like, oh, I feel like we should talk tonight. Just kind of state of the union. You're like, was, okay. Shock I'm nervous. I'm like, no. Uh, yeah. We ended up just an hour and a half on merch and didn't talk about some important things that we nope. needed to talk about. There's a thing that we're doing behind the scenes right now that could be the most important part of anything that we've ever done. <laughs> we are putting it off because we came up with cool merch ideas. Uh, me. Yeah, I got to finish something up for that other thing. <laughs> not, not a great business move for us, but <laughs> uh, way more fun. Yeah. If you're listening on Apple, make sure, subscribe, leave that five-star rating. Helps with the algorithms. Five stars. Spotify, Google, all those places have somewhere where you can kind of leave a review. Help us out. We much appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Follow us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. Oh, I love the Instagram, yeah. That's also be on the lookout on our socials about some more uncommon media stuff coming in the short there are things future. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. I think we're probably going to have, <laughs> we're making all kinds of pages and we might just need to make an uncommon media page to kind of house everything. But I think that's a smart idea. or website, but there's more coming. We still have the new sports order talking the NFL on Thursday morning comes out myself, Sterling Pingree, a lot of Cowboys, a lot of Patriots. Yep. And some winners and losers. Sterling has a column that he puts up on uh, the new sports order page every week. Yep. Right after the Patriots game. It's pretty good. It's an entertaining read. I'm, I'm not a football guy. But I feel like I'm starting to wrap my head around things, honestly, by listening to you guys and reading Sterling's call. Like, I'm not going to say I'm a fan, but I at least understand it, and I kind of know what's going on now. Like, I'm recognizing names, and I know that there's a Mac Jones and a Bailey Zappi, right? Yeah. See? Bailey Zappi sounds like someone that should be in the street stocks. Wow. Yeah. Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi should be a quarter midget driver. With a with a hundred thousand dollar budget, a seven year old quarter midget driver 
who has got a direct line to an Xfinity ride the day he or she turns 16. Is that like Kyle Bush's son? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Bailey Zappi should be teammates with Brexton Bush. God, what a stupid name that is. It takes a lot to get a genuine laugh out of me. I'm not a very vocal laugher in those cases. God. If you want to be part of the family. Why is there not a law? Why is there not a process where people have to submit names? I think there's some European countries that you actually have to do that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, you're an idiot. You don't get to be a parent. What is it? Like Jason Lee, didn't he name his kid like air traffic control or something? <laughs> what? I think that's a thing. Uh, Elon Musk named one of his kids a bunch of symbols and numbers, didn't he? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going down a weird. Go rabbit also hole. go listen to the go listen to the Kenny Tremont podcast that we did because it's one of our favorites, and I just had the honor of putting him into the New England Auto Racing Hall of Fame last weekend. Not patting myself on the back, I'm patting him on the back. It was a great time. He went in with a, a super good class. He was the only Northern guy to get in, and the only dirt guy to get in. Um, but he's holding strong for our region and, and, uh, it was a fun time. We also didn't last week, which was our fault, but shout out to DJ Shaw winning the American Canadian tour championship with what one race to go impressively done. And then then wrapped it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's now done. Uh, uh, so second, right. Yeah. Go ahead and. Go back, check out that episode as well. That was a good, I think they're all good, you know? Yeah. All my kids are good. Which one's your favorite? They're all my favorite. That's not true. My podcast kids. My podcast kids. If you want to be a part of the family sponsoring this show, the new sports order, maybe get in early on a couple projects. If you want to reach out to us about sponsoring, perhaps a couple new podcasts we have coming up and you're interested to know what it is. If you reach out to us on the email, uncommon media VT at gmail.com and you're interested, we will let you know now kind of what we have coming to give you an idea to see if you want to get on board before they start rolling I think one's going to start in about a month, and the other one could be in a week or two weeks. Anytime between now and never. So, yeah. One, I'm working on, I'm trying, it's going to be about a month because I want to build it up better than I did with the new Sports Order podcast where that was kind of like, we put it together kind of last minute, super excited. We want to build it up, get some anticipation, I want to have things in place, so that's going to be a month. And Justin's working on something that probably not tomorrow, but, you know, maybe the day after. I would get, honestly, I I would think that within two weeks, I bet we'll have the first one out. That sounds fine. Who knows? And and maybe it won't work. Uh, Maybe it will be a colossal failure, but at least it will be fun. Heck yeah. Right? Yeah, buddy. That wraps up today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. 
and we will be back next week. You've been listening to the Uncommon Deeds podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.